Thank you so much, Anjali. Um, I'm sort of reading out a paper, and as usual, I have you know uh, stuffed too many things into this, so I don't know if if I would be able to finish in time. Uh, hopefully, I'll. <clears throat> so let me begin. Um, the spread of colonial education and the dissemination of print in Maharashtra since the early 19th century led to the growth of an educated middle class and a vigorous public sphere in Marathi. The rise and spread of Western education had two significant consequences. It produced a middle class that became a mediator between the colonial government and the native society. And this middle class began to analyze the native society through categories that were made available to them through Western education. By the late 19th century, two interdependent developments within this middle class can be observed. On the one hand, this class was dependent on the colonial government for its livelihood and in the process had fashioned itself in the colonial image, while on the other hand, it also became the vehicle of the emergent anti-colonial nationalist consciousness. This anti-colonialism had two central concerns regarding the impact of colonial education on native society. One, that Colonial education had decayed the bodies of the young students and emasculated them, and two, that it had uprooted them from their Swadesh, that is nation, Swabhasha, that is mother tongue, and Swadharma, that is religion. <clears throat> Here I will discuss both these concerns regarding the impact of Western education that was deliberated by the middle class literati in the late 19th and early 20th century Marathi public sphere. With the establishment of Bombay University in 1857, educational levels in Maharashtra were bifurcated along two lines. Marathi schools for primary and lower secondary classes and exclusively English education at the matriculation and college level. As a consequence of this linguistic split within the, within the Western educated middle class since the early 19th century, English remained confined to more elite circles that overlapped with the colonial state, while Marathi emerged as a more potent medium for public conversations. As Veena Narigal has rightly pointed out, this Western educated underclass, which operated primarily in Marathi, was foundational for the development of Marathi public sphere in the late 19th century. After passing the seven standards, students could choose to appear for either matriculation, which is mandatory for those who want to go to college for further studies, or they could opt for vernacular final who would seek employment after school. Most students who find matriculation, most students would find matriculation very difficult, and those who passed matriculation to reach college would take another five to seven years to finish graduation. Consequently, a very small number of students would go on to complete their graduation, and eventually many of these graduates would die young. The problem of the early deaths of these graduates was widely recognized and debated in Marathi public sphere, particularly in the last decade of the 19th century. While speaking at the convocation ceremony of the Bombay University of the year at the year 1894-95, Dr. Ramkrishna Gopal Bhandarkar, the then chancellor of the university, reflected on this issue. Bhandarkar believed that decadent social customs like child marriage and unhygienic lifestyles of the natives were the primary reasons behind the early deaths of many of these graduates. <clears throat> Justice Ranade, in reply to Bhandarkar, pointed out that social customs such as child marriages affected not just the graduates, but the entire society. He instead thought that the excessive burden of studies and exams on the students was the real reason behind their early deaths. The problem of the early deaths of the graduates was a recurrent subject of public conversation in 1890s. Mahadev Shuram Gole, professor of physics and principal of Ferguson College, published a book titled Brahman Anitanchi Vidya, Brahmins and their Colonial Education in 1895 to address the issue. Gore's text sought to examine the impact of colonial education on native minds and bodies. 
Although the title of Gore's book referred only to the Brahmins, he clarified that he considered all the scribal castes, including the Brahmins and Kayasthas and Patari Prabhus, as Brahmins in his book. According to Gore, colonial education was the root cause of the decaying of the bodies and minds of the students. He believed that the spark that colonial education created in the first generation of Indian students in the early 19th century had substantively waned by the last decade of the 19th century. He held that colonial education, as if a radioactive component, decayed the bodies of the native students. His concern for the native bodies was also evident from the titles of the chapters in his book, including the decay of the students' bodies, waning of the students' minds, more thoughts on the causes of the mental and physical decay, the importance of bodily strength, etc. Gore's text was a mixture of a reformist gaze with a strong critique of the Brahmins and a revivalist hope of recovering Swaraj through building bodily and mental strength. Gore strongly disagreed with many Brahmins who considered the colonial period as a period of a historical transition and who hoped that once this phase would pass, India would attain its lost glory once again. He instead observed, in the last 20 years, the average height of Brahmin graduates has diminished by the ratio of two inches per 10 years. Their bodily strength has also reduced by one third. The same can be said about uh, the women. I have already shown how society has attained old age. Stern, determined, industrious and masculine men are dying. Education and poverty have embraced one another. And the breadth and the width of this country has become inversely proportional to the abilities of its graduates. How can anyone claim that this transition is indicative of a future renaissance? One of the solutions that Gore proposed for the resolution of this crisis, triggered by the colonial education system, was to produce a network of graduate Ramdasis, or the Hindu missionaries inspired by the teachings of Samartha Ramdas across the country. Gore's anxiety regarding the decline of the Brahmins was a widely shared one. Bal Gangadhar Tilak reviewed Gore's book across seven consecutive editorials in Kesri. Tilak largely agreed with Gore's pessimistic view, but argued that it was not just the Brahmins, but the entire Maharashtrian society which suffered from this decay and that the colonial rule was the main reason behind this condition. Although Tilak shared aspects of Gore's self-reflexive critique of the Brahmins, the late 19th century intellectual and political climate had already paved the way for a nationalist imagination which sought to affirm the cultural and moral health of Hindu society. The early 19th century insistence on reforming the Hindu society, evident in the writings and actions of Lokhitwadi and Phule, had begun to diminish by the late 19th century. Vishnu Shastri Chiplunkar, the self-proclaimed Shivaji of the Marathi language, declared in his Nibandamala, a series of essays that launched this paradigm shift in Marathi, that there is nothing wrong with this country and its people. <clears throat> Tirk further developed this anti-reform argument. In a comment published in Kesri on Vishnu Moreshwar Mahajani's public speech at Dharwad in 1903, where Mahajani had argued that reforming the familial and social space was a prerequisite for Indian independence, Tilak explained his position most clearly in the following words. I disagree with Mahajani. Consider Burma, for example. Burma had been, has been practicing all the customs that our social reformers desperately desire. Adult marriages, widow remarriages, singular religion, women are allowed to educate themselves, no caste system etc. for since long. But in terms of the lack of virtues such as industriousness, being proud of one's creed, religion and language, intense collective ambition to attain greatness um, and the national aspiration to make the nation strong in terms of knowledge, strength, valor and other accomplishments, the Burmese and the Indians are no different from one another. 
our reformers blamed the lack of reforms in indian society for the absence of these virtues but the burmese situation tells us that the causality that our reformers privilege between social reform and national progress is incorrect and needs to be modified even if all the widows of hindustan get remarried tomorrow the material or spiritual conditions of the country will not change in short national progress and social reform are two very different things this is the reason why i critique reforms and their proponents despite not being averse to many of their ideas i think hindu dharma and hindu rashtra are more important than social reforms and whatever reforms we may need will automatically take place when we devote ourselves diligently to the task of creating national consciousness amongst the people Vishnu Govind Vijapurkar a professor of Sanskrit at Rajaram College at Kolhapur and the editor of a distinguished monthly Granthmala the newspaper Samartha and another renowned periodical Vishwavrutta also reiterated Tilak's arguments many a times in his writings much like Tilak Vijapurkar was not a classical orthodox himself in his personal life and shared Tilak's belief that political freedom was the master key of all the socio religious problems of India The nationalist outlook envisioned by Chipronkar and Turk opposed social reforms and paved the way for a new form of collective imagination in Maharashtra. Turk and Vijapurkar were two of the key representatives of this form of nationalist modernism which was non-orthodox and yet anti-reform of the late 19th and early 20th century and it was also shared by many across political groupings. One of the central concerns of this new imagination was the idea of rashtriya shikshan or national education. In 1880 Chipronkar Tilak and Agarkar started New English School at Pune. Subsequently the principal of the school Vaman Shivaram Apte specified this their position on education in his testimony in front of the Hunter Commission. And I quote the aim of the whole educational system at present administered as at present administered appears to me to make the natives speak and write good English and not to enable them to be masters of their mother tongue. as if the object of the universe object of the university were to send forth into the world every year a lot of anglicized graduates instead of graduated natives this by the turn of the century particularly by 1904 1905 in the aftermath of the partition of bengal when lokmanya tilak put up his four point program the idea of national education began to be practiced quite widely in western india Apart from the new English school there also emerged many other private institutions devoted to the idea of national education the Samartha Vidyalaya established in 1906 was the pioneering effort in this regard Vijapurkar Samartha Vidyalaya Professor Vijapurkar a Telkaite also had close ties with legendary historian VK Rajwade and he has de- he was deeply influenced by the ideology of Swadesh Swabhasha and Swadharma that was popularized by Chipronkar He started Samartha Vidyalaya to propagate and instill these values amongst his students. Strength and power had been some of the most significant motivations for cultural nationalists. The name that Vijapurkar chose for the school and also for the newspaper that he ran for about 10 years, Samartha meaning strong, indicated this obsession with strength and also evoked the memories of Samartha Ramdas, a saint poet of the 17th century and the most revered by the English educated modern Brahmins. It was from Samartha Ramdas that Rajwadi had derived the term Maharashtra Dharma which was developed in a variety of ways across genres in Marathi print materials and from the physical exercises clubs to theater and cinema to illustrate the explicitly masculine character of Maharashtrian hinduness. 
this explicitly hindu character of the and also the explicitly hindu character of the national festivals that tilak started in 1890s the ganpati festival and the shivaji festival were also manifestations of this obsession with strength and power the building of the body politic of the hindu nation was the essence of celebrating hindu deities like ganesh and deity like historical figures such as chhatrapati shivaji kesari called these celebrations a tonic for the fragile nerves of the hindu body politic in rajwadi's and other nationalist writings chhatrapati shivaji emerged as a core symbol of both hindu sovereignty and maharashtra dharma shivaji was projected as the protector of cows and brahmins and with the systematic cultivation and dissemination of the myth of samartha ramdas as shivaji's guru particularly by rajwadi and another samartha devotee shankar sri krishna dev the specificity of maharashtra dharma was articulated in its masculinity and strength Samartha Ramdas thus was a recurring symbol of masculine strength mental discipline and power as well as the representative of maharashtrian brahmins who viewed themselves as the <coughs> sorry as the gurus of all the varnas vijapurkar's choice for the name of their new school was a deep rooted metaphor amongst the brahmin intelligentsia of modern maharashtra samartha vidyalaya began in 1906 in kolhapur in a public advertisement of the school it was mentioned that it was to be affiliated with the upcoming banaras hindu university However as Samartha Vidyalaya was already declared illegal by the British government by the time the Banaras Hindu University started in 1916 this proposed proposed affiliation never quite materialized soon after its formation Samartha Vidyalaya was shifted first to Miraj near Kolhapur due to the outbreak of plague and later to Taregaon near Pune Although Samartha Vidyalaya was based on the idea of national education which aimed to decolonize the content of education it was not a traditional Hindu pathshala It was a modern residential school that sought to incorporate many modern subjects such as history, geography, mathematics, economics, Marathi, drawing, Sanskrit and health sciences in its curriculum. The syllabus also had a component of religious education and though the institute was technically open to students of all religions in practice the content of religious education remained limited only to the sphere of Hinduism. Also apart from these modern subjects students were taught pottery carpentry and knitting along with indian classical vocal and some basic training of in other indian languages including kannada and gujarati the school was affiliated with a swadeshi glass factory and the students were sent there for training as well the syllabus at samartha vidyalaya also involved texts that were actively circulated and widely read in marathi print publics at the time including the works of samartha ramdas's collection of poetry Naneshwari the 13th century Marathi commentary on Bhagavad Gita selections from Chiprunkar's Nibandhamala and selected articles from historian Rajwade's work the curriculum also had a significant component of physical exercises and indian sports also the school only admitted unmarried male students brahmacharya was one of the most important prerequisites for admission in the worsened political climate in the aftermath of the assassination of mr arthur jackson the district collector of nasik uh, and since many of the members of samartha vidyalaya were known sympathizers of the revolutionaries the colonial government soon declared samartha vidyalaya as unlawful in 1910 and vijapurkar and few of his colleagues were sent away to prison when samartha vidyalaya was shut down many of its members and including students and teachers joined pradnya math at y a few of them like dinkar shastri kanade and mahadev shastri divekar were actually instrumental in the transformation of pradnya math into pradnya pathshala pradnya pathshala was initiated by uh, narayan shastri marathe uh, who later renamed himself as kevalananda saraswati after he took sanyas in 1931 
Pratna Math was established by Narayan Shastri in 1906 after the death of his most revered teacher Pradnyananda Saraswati and to commemorate his guru Narayan Shastri named his school Pradnya Math. Later in 1916 Pradnya Math was formally transformed into Pradnya Pathshala. With the arrival of Divekar Shastri, Kanade Shastri and others from Samartha Vidyalaya and a few others from other traditional Sanskrit schools like Konkar brothers from Pali Siddheshwar who were earlier studying under a grammarian, grammarian in Sangli, Keshav Shastri Vipra from Anjanavati, Atle Shastri from Tembhu, Vishnu Paranswe from Pain, Dattu Shastri Devdhar from Miras, the Pradnepatshala began to reorient itself. Apart from the training in traditional Indian philosophy, Sanskrit grammar and philology, Narayan Shastri also incorporated subjects like history, geography, Marathi discursive texts to empower his students for the modern times. Uh, <clears throat> it was argued uh, by the proponents of Pradnepatshala that like the modern MA has little knowledge of Indian culture and religious traditions, a learned Shastri also has little understanding of the modern world. In our scheme of higher education, the idea is to ensemble the learning of the old and the new world. We have designed the syllabus in such a way that the Pradnepachala trained Shast pundits would change the world's opinion about classical Shastris. They will not follow the tradition blindly and instead synth synthesize reason with faith, Shraddha, in their search for truth and this search will be as per the needs of the changing times. The process that led to the designing of the curriculum at Pradnepatshala indicates that there were conscious efforts on their part to carve a distinct path from other traditional Sanskrit Patshalas. Narayan Shastri and the new English educated Shastris from the Samartha Vidyalaya offered two main courses. First is a higher course, Uchya Shikshan, for the training in a specific branch of Hindu theology to become a Shastri, which would take about 10 to 12 years. And the other was a secondary course, Madhyamika Shikshan, for training religious teachers public speakers and common citizens. For the secondary course, Pradnepatshas strive to bring together three different knowledge traditions, Sanskrit, Prakrit, that is Marathi and English. Sanskrit training involved general information about religious rites, selected portions from the Vedas, selections from the Smritis, Nirukta or one of the six auxiliary disciplines of Indian philosophy known as the Vedangas, the Bhagavad Gita and Upanishad, Mahabharat, Ramayana, the selections, some selections from Puranas, Sanskrit literature and poetry, Mimansa philosophy, Vedanta and the Dharma Shastras. Marathi teaching was based on selections from modern prose and poetry, a knowledge of which was deemed required for an efficient scholarly writer and public speaker. The level of English taught was the equivalent of matriculation and some of the other subjects covered included the history of India, political systems of England and other European nations, geography and mathematics and basic calculations as required for everyday transactions. <clears throat> the intellectual genealogy of Pradnepatshala can be traced on the one hand to the classical Indian philosophical traditions, while on the other hand, it was organically linked to the fervor of cultural nationalism inspired by Chiplunkar and Tirk in the late 19th and early 20th century. Pradnepatshala shared the same missionary zeal with which Chiplunkar, Tirk and Vijapurkar envisioned modern India as Lakshman Shastri recollects that Chiplunkar's Nibandamala was read and reread at Pradnepatshala and had an enormous influence on its internal culture. Although Pradnepatshala was experimenting with both the form and the content of traditional Sanskrit education, it was not a radical institution by any means. Despite all its modernness, the school admitted only Brahmin males as students for many years. The very first rule it had regarding admission was that the school is open only for the five Gauda and Dravida Brahmins. It began admitting non-Brahmin students much later in 1930. However, in the recollection of Lakshman Shastri Zoshi, he says that they began uh, you know, admitting non-Brahmins only by 1942. 
1916, there were 60 students in the Pathshala, 22 for the higher course and 38 for the secondary course. With the rise and spread of the idea of national education, many who were discontent with colonial education were drawn to the Pathshala. Various lieutenants of Lokman Network, not, notably from across different Marathi speaking areas like Govindra Ogre, editor of Maharashtra newspaper from Nagpur, Madhav Srihari Ani from Yavatmal, Khaparade from Amravati, Vamanrao Naik of Hyderabad, Gangadhar Deshpande and Govindra Yagi from Belgao sent students to the Pachal. This underscores that it, it's perceived, it, this underscores its perceived importance uh, and that attraction of uh, towards part of the, the Pachala was not limited to a, a small coterie of traditionalists in a small town like Wai. In 1917, Vinoba Bhave also stayed in Pradna Pachala for six months to study Shankaracharya's commentary on Gita. Although most of these Tilkites were orthodox in the matters of religious views, whose students they you know, had arrived at Pradna Pachala, the Pachala increasingly leaned towards a liberal and reformist position vis-a-vis -vis the Sanatan Dharma. The spectrum of ideas of early 20th century nationalism, national education concepts of Swadesh and Swadharma, mainly popularized by Tilak and Tilkite, shaped the political orientation of Pradnepachara. It was evident even in the daily routines of students of the school. Or every morning between 5 a.m. to 5.30 a.m., the students would recite their morning prayers, which included a sukta from Rigveda, as well as Vinayak Damodar Savarkar's poem, Swatantrachi Bhupari. And in the early years, the school was also influenced by the ideas of revolutionary nationalism. <clears throat> the earliest annual report available today of the Pachala is of the year 1924, prepared by Gangadhar Shastri Soni. The report provides interesting details about the school's curriculum, students' routines, the various extracurricular activities of the school, and the school's finances, etc. Pradnipatshara was a residential school where disciplining bodies was of a vital importance. Maintaining personal and public hygiene, offering seva for the sick, and upholding sexual and spiritual morality by sustaining brahmacharya and remaining free from any vices were essential aspects of the everyday conduct. The report notes that a simulated parliament was organized at the Pachala in 1924. Students were divided into extremists, moderates, and Swaraj party members, and all of these groups produced handwritten newspapers to endorse their respective political opinions. Another important activity of the school was to divide the students into smaller groups and send them to different places on foot during the holidays. For example, in 1924, one group was sent to Satara Mahableshwar, another went to Bhor, and one other went to Pune Talegao. Every year, students would walk for hundreds of miles to different places across Maharashtra. They would also prepare their own food with their meager resources. The bodily discipline and the qualities of austerity, physical endurance and connections with countryside through long journeys on foot that were advocated, cultivated and prized in Gandhian nationalism were also therefore cultivated in the, in the Pachara. The philosophical foundation, however, was a deliberate attempt at blending Sanskritic and Western education. Pradnipatsha and the new Hinduness. Pradnipatsha also played a critical role in the advent of an anti-orthodox idea of multi-dimensional Hinduness in the early 20th century Maharashtra. A politics of consensus about the notion of modern Hinduness was channelized through various intellectual reformist initiatives. Although Savarkar's influential text Hindutva has attained a canonical status in this regard, it is important to note that many such projects were undertaken during this period, such as the historically and chronologically arranged Encyclopedia of Hindu Dharma Shastra, which is Dharma Kosh, which began in 1931 at Vai, a 
multi volume history of dharmashastra by pandurang vamankarni uh, in 1930 and an idea of new hinduism propagated by the dharma nirnay mandal founded by narayan shastri marathe ragunath shastri kokze and mahadev shastri divekar at lonawala in 1934 All of these efforts significantly contributed to the making of a new rationalist and modernist cultural politics of Hindutva. The common institutional node that connected these concerted yet diverse efforts was Pradnipatshala. Religious conferences to deliberate on the pressing question of reforms within the Dharma Shastra began to be organized in Maharashtra since the since early 1920s. In these conferences, the Sanatana position about a staunch belief in the divine status of the Vedas and the Smritis as the codification of universal and absolute truth was explicitly articulated. It was argued that Smritis should be practiced to the letter. and even if the smritis were to be interpreted they could only be interpreted in the light of the philosophy of purva mimamsa in 1920 hindu dharma parishad which was organized in nasik where uh, pradnipatsha shastris namely marathi and divekar presented a 14 point program of reforming various hindu beliefs and customs later in january 1926 a conference of shastris and pandits was organized by keshavdatta maharaj at songir in khandesh northern maharashtra Uh, where uh, Santoshi Maharaj Kukur Mundekar was the president, and many eminent shastris and religious preachers, including acharyas of various pithas as well as the Kurtakoti Shankaracharya, were in attendance. The conference led to this led to significant debate amongst the pundits. A group of shastris such as Rajeshwar Shastri Dravid, Lakshman Shastri Dravid, Ananta Krishna Shastri, etc., insisted on the continuance of absolute validity of all the smritis, that is, the Dharma Shastras, in the modern age. They demanded that all the Hindu religious customs should be followed. followed as dictated by the dharma shastras without any changes whatsoever the parivartanwadi the reformist shastris from pradnipatshala on the other hand stated the necessity of adopting the dharma shastras to the changing times some of the points they made were as follows one dharma is not static it underwent remarkable changes through history although its essence will not change its form will be open to for new interpretations in the changing times two it is critical to understand the various transformations in dharma historically the vedas are not divine and were not written by were written by men and shrutis and puranas the smritis and puranas reflect how dharma shastras change through time three although the shastras do not allow converted hindus to be purified and readmitted into hinduism it must find a way to do so all the four varnas exist in the kaliyuga and to consider that the kshatriyas and the vaishyas do not exist in modern age is gravely erroneous and lastly hindus who have crossed the seas should not be asked to perform a penance ritual or seek atonement of any kind anymore these and many more points put forward by the pradnipatshala shastris were intensely debated in the conference although the conference could not arrive at a decision regarding these issues the irreconcilability between the two groups of pandits was glaringly articulated for the first time the proposition that the hindu dharma shastras has changed over time and it should also change with the modern times was considered at best radical and at worst blasphemous by many Similar issues resurfaced in the next religious conference organized at Hyderabad in 1927 and another set of heated debates followed. A Brahman Parishad, a Brahman conference organized in Akola in the same year in 1927 announced unequivocally that all castes were equal vis-a-vis -vis one another. Interesting to note here is a comment from Sripatrao Shinde, the editor of Vijay Maratha on the Brahman conference at Akola. Disregarding any difference between the orthodox pundits and the pradnipatshala collective he argued that the willingness shown by the brahmins to consider every caste as equal was only due to the immense pressure put on put on by the satyashodak movement which he called the bolshevik party born to destroy the tsarist regime of brahminism 
He claimed that if Brahmins, who if unleashed can even kick the god himself, were now accepting everyone as their equal, it was only because of Jyotira Phule, the Lenin of non-Brahminism. The conference, the Brahmin conference, witnessed debates about two issues in particular, the status of Hindu widows and the interdining and intermarriage between different subcastes of Brahmins. Narayan Shastri Marathi proclaimed that in uh, that the widow, that widow uh, whose head has not been shaved, the Sakesha, should not be considered inauspicious and should be allowed to participate in every religious ritual. He also strongly advocated intermarriages between different Brahmin subcastes. He further claimed that all the Marathas and other Agrarian castes like Maris were Kshatriyas and should be allowed to access the Vedic rituals. In these conferences, the Shastris from Pradnaparchala highlighted the importance of historicizing the formation of the Hindu Dharmic tradition, which led to the idea of Dharmakosh, which is a project of historical ordering of the various laws of the Smritis, a project that began in 1931 under the editorship of Lakshman Shastri Zoshi and is continued till this date. Dharmakosh was organized around the many aspects of Vedic religion, samskaras such as Vivaha, Varnashrama, Shuddhi, Prayashitta, etc. Each volume represented chronologically arranged vachanas uh, that could be found across numerous Vedic texts as pres to present a historical map of the changes that took place within the Vedic religious universe. The idea behind the Dharmakosh was to examine the transformations within the various concepts, values and theories that were foundational to Hindu society. The central impulse behind this reformism instigated by Narayan Shastri was nationalism, more specifically the form of nationalism inspired by Tilak. Narayan yeah, Shastri yeah, belonged to. If you can wrap up, wrap up. Here, yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost sure, out of time. Just give me a minute or two. Uh, yeah, just, yeah. just two more minutes. Yeah. 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 Um, Narayan Shastri. So, uh, <laughs> all right. So Narayan Shastri argued that um, through his reading of the Bhagavata text, he realized that in the ancient period of Hindu history, many people could change their varnas, which convinced him that caste-based, hierarchically arranged Hindu social order was not essential to the conceptualization of Hinduness. He also found various other textual pieces of evidence for the existence of adult marriages, uh, divorce, etc. in ancient society, and therefore argued that societal aspects of religion could and should change according to Desh, Kal, and Paristhiti. To sum up, to conclude, there are a number of other people that I wanted to talk about. However, um, uh, so in conclusion, I would say that there emerged a class of reformist Brahmins, a few trained in Dharma Shastra and many who were English educated, who recognized the need to reformulate the old hierarchically arranged Hindu social order where caste operated as fixed and given. They envisaged a new category of political identity, Hindu, that would disregard the internal fact fractions and hierarchies within the Indian society. This new discourse referred to Dharma Shastra only as a signifier of ancient glory and an occasional guidebook, but would rather abandon the Shastras whenever it created tensions within the political category Hindu. Although Savarkar's book Hindutva published in 1923 represent this position most clearly, it was the Pradnipatshara collective that created the historical context for its consumption and wider acceptance in the public discourse by providing evidence from the Dharma Shastra for the historical transformations within the Hindu social order. Thank you. Thank you, Thank Rahul. You, Rahul. I'm sorry for interrupting you, but I wanted to make sure that there was enough time for the questions for such an excellent paper. Fantastic presentation. So um, I want to invite um, people who are attending to type in your questions in the uh, Q&A box. But we can begin with uh, Frank Conlon's comment um, for now. Uh, he says, excellent paper. Am I correct in remembering that Tarkatirtha Lakshman Shastri Joshi was a student at the Patsha? 
um yes absolutely he he was the student and uh, and later the leader of pradna patsha you know in the in the second half of uh, uh, you know when narayan shastri actually took sanyas in 1931 and took very little part in the everyday affairs of the school now it was lakshman shastri who sort of you know took the initiative to um, develop this a uh, wider you know in, into a wider network uh one important aspect that i should mention here is that lakshman shastri also became a node who connected pradnapat shala to on the one hand with gandhi and on the other hand with uh, uh, mn roy uh, and on the you know he was also closely associated with Laksh- you know yashwantrao savan and the non brahmin movement so so pradnapat shala in, in in lakshman under lakshman shastri joshi actually operated as a much wider and you know uh, uh, reformist sort of uh, uh, you know place um thank you uh, rahul uh, sachin ketkar has a question he asks how was savarkar's sharp criticism of caste and orthodox hinduism the seven chains received by pradnya uh, shaya thank you sachin i think uh, this is this is one of the things that they did debate uh, for a good number of times i think what happens in 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 the, you know uh, by early 1930s we see that there emerged two kinds of factions within pradnapatchala on the one hand we have lakshman shastri joshi and on the other hand we have mahadev shastri divekar mahadev shastri divekar along with lakshman you know raghunath shastri kokze uh, you know forms a new organization called dharma nirnay mandal and dharma nirnay mandal uh, becomes a far more savarkar right uh, in its orientation uh, although on both these factions would agree on all of those critiques of hinduism that savarkar has pro- propagated in fact they would go even further uh, than savarkar they would even provide evidences uh, to you know to to uh, to uphold savarkar's views but lakshman shastri would you know by becoming royist and you know becoming more marxist and more critical to the very idea of dharma Uh, you know would differ from raghunath shastri kokze and mahadev shastri devekar who uh, began to understand dharma or use that category more in a political sense much in the savarkar way thank you rahul um there don't seem to be more questions in the chat box for now but i wanted to invite the uh, the other people uh, moderators and others who are available here if you want to um, turn on your mic and ask a question if not i will um, i will have one of my own but i first wanted to see if anyone else had a question i Go think ahead. there's a question of dominics isn't there a little bit further up the chain oh i didn't see that okay in the new ones i didn't see the uh, okay dominic go ahead oh sure i'll just say uh, uh rahul thank you this was a really fantastic paper and i it's just really uh wonderful to see how your work has um progressed over the years um and my question was just about um the methods that of learning that were used uh, in these educational reform projects i was struck that ramdas and ramdasi texts were so important and so i'm wondering was there a self-conscious attempt to return to some kind of pre-colonial way of of teaching um like i'm thinking of like mnemonics or broadly disciplined like the way that content was actually delivered to students and then just um a small question about whether there was any teaching of of modi script or reading of historical documents or was that not part of the curriculum right um thanks thanks dominics and it's very good to see you after such a long time 
um right in fact uh, uh, i i i could uh, you know have find uh, some of the details about reading modi scripts but that was read uh, you know uh, to uh, the script was uh, uh, used to essentially access the dharmik uh, dharmik or dharmashastra texts that were written in modi not a great number but though uh, but but modi wasn't really you know the, uh, reading history wasn't really the preoccupation there uh, to a great extent however history was very much the the project of history was very much important uh, to historicize dharmashastra to historicize the contemporary conditions of india was very critical uh, uh, so uh, you know history emerges as a the way in which you also see that it emerged in marathi public sphere of that time frame uh, i think the other question of yours is is slightly more difficult for me to answer about mnemonics or other kinds of techniques because there is very little evidence to sort of work through this uh, you know most of the information that i could gather is through some of the uh, reports that i had an access to but these had very little reflections on the specific techniques in the classroom how did the classroom actually look like uh and the other you know more important source for me has been the memoirs and other kinds of writings uh, by these people who were involved in this project so this is something that i should explore more thanks thanks for this uh the next question is by Rachel Sturman and she says uh, fantastic paper thank you i'm wondering if the pradnya patsha specifically attempted to link the intellectual content of education to brahmin men's bodily health um yeah thank you rachel i think that is one of the important concerns that they had one interesting so mahadev uh, shastri devekar is again the key person here who wrote a number of texts in marathi and most of these texts actually address the two critical crises that he had in mind so he says hindu society there are two, is is plagued by two kind of crises one is this crisis of the mind uh, that is essentially uh, you know considering oneself and the society as inferior to the west and uh, which is of course connected to the wider crisis which is the crisis of the body and the body is of course the you know, the material human body but also this figurative body of the nation the figurative body of religion and all of that uh, so so that is in order to sort of get rid of that uh, um, sense of uh, depleted sense of self one needs to you know revive the spirit of religiosity and that spirit of religiosity is not to be found in orthodox forms it has to you know happen in a very reformist modernist manner um uh, did i kind of answer your question at all um she um, rachel said that it is in some ways related to dominic's question about how education should happen ah okay okay so that is uh, partly one of the things that is very very important for them is that education uh, because it's a residential school whether it was a samartha vidyalaya started by vijapurkar or pratne patsha uh, and uh, a residential school for uh, brahmacharis uh, of you know um, unmarried young men and one of the important aspects in of that curriculum is physical exercise which is uh, including indian sports including uh, you know long walks including uh, morning physical exercises um and that uh, uh, i mean part of that uh, uh, you know uh, uh, culture is also sort of bolstered by this ramadasi uh, parampara that you know you, you you're imagined to be like that ramadasi missionary uh, hindu missionary so to say in fact the term is also used many many times by divekar shastri in his writings um rachel says thank you it actually reminds me of um 
um, of okay where did it go uh, it i Somebody lost that comment is a polygon yeah I, i i can see this okay okay but uh, we have only 5 oh, minutes left and now we have two more questions but maybe we might have to take lee's question as the last one uh, here unless we have more time after your response so lee asks do any of these reformist uh, reformist brahmans or the, does any part of the educational course in the pradnya pacha recognize bhakti practices even the writings of tukaram was there any attention to maharashtrian deities khandoba jyotiba etc thank you thank you this is such a wonderful question uh, i think yes there is the you know there is a recognition of tukaram uh, a few times but i don't think they pay any attention to uh, khandoba uh, or uh, you know other kinds of these uh, folk deities so to say uh they do attend to pay attention to ganpati of course uh, uh, and uh, and hanuman uh, but uh, but interestingly what happens in the later part of this project is that the emphasis on deity or emphasis on this uh, um, um, certain kind of religiosity practical uh, performativity of religion uh, you know became less and less significant as as it sort of developed into you know under the rakshman shastri joshi as uh, you know lakshman shastri joshi in fact went all the way in 1941 to say to argue that hinduism is nothing but a bunch of legal treatises much like what ambedkar had done in 1930 uh, 36 um, he in fact wanted to dismantle this religion altogether lakshman shastri joshi went all that way in early 1940s so this you know this direction did not have much of a space for bhakti tradition or of course ramdas was critical and that kind of bhakti uh, is very much recognized and valued but none other really not even naneshwar figures to that uh, you know significantly here uh thank you we have a few more minutes um shailen did you have a question or should i go ahead to uh, christian novetsky's question no i think uh, i think let the participants uh, ask the first okay. questions rather, okay. than, rather than me so <laughs> so maybe we can quickly have christian's question here he says thank you for this engaging paper given that reform is not a singular concept i'd like to know more about how you use the term reform in this essay for example in comparison to how reform takes shape in shraddha's paper through appeals to colonial liberalism wow thank you thank you so much for this wonderful question um i think i think it's difficult to sort of identify reform as it in as it sort of generally understood and seen as critique of or or uh, you know um um i think what is happening here uh, for me as far as i understand is a revaluation of a tradition that you cannot uh you know be away from that you're very much part of it and the word underclass that veena narigal uses for these people that i referred to in my paper that underclass those people who mostly uh, were not really you know trained in english uh, or 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 uh, the use of the kind of understanding of reform for them is deeply associated with this whole metaphor of Uh, of seed and root and tree and you know that that is also figured in in ranade's writings in 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 uh, the rise of maratha power so th- this is uh, this is there is some kind of a thinking about organic ness um, organic relationship with society and in order to keep that intact you need to change you need to modify but you cannot lose the site or relationship with this wider organism that you are part of 
and i think in that sense what they're doing is that they're fighting with the orthodoxies to make them aware of the changing times and they're also in a way having a debate with the reformists reformists who are very very critical of religion uh, you know uh, uh, but 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 they are also trying to have a conversation with the reformists to sort of make them aware that you need to keep that relationship the umbilical cord with the society intact and that is the kind of predicament that they are in uh, which is the turkite tradition which is also you know um, but of course there are these these there are number of different trajectories within uh, pratnaparsha so they're not always singular um, you know whole i i know i know that i haven't really answered you very satisfactorily but um, um, let me sort of think more about this thank you rahul and there are two more questions by saili parande datar and prachi gurjarpadhe but i don't think we have time shelen do we have time to go into the questions beyond 12 uh, beyond the time i think uh, so long as there are only two i th- i guess we might yeah are, just, so yeah. far i can see only two so saili asks Uh, says insightful paper indeed rahul how did the local orthodox brahmin community of wai receive the patshala model uh, of education especially religious reformist education what were their responses yeah they were not happy at all you know wai also had bhavashastri lele who uh, published dharma as a periodical and who was extremely critical of uh, the non brahmin movement's attempts to you know to claim kshatriya status and pratnaparshala was extremely supportive of the of that endeavor pratnaparshala in fact divekar was one of the first shastris to write uh, and support that support the claims of the kshatriyas and vaishyas uh you know uh, but that uh, what happened in the in the in the longer term is that pratnaparsha was not that radically or you know rhetorically aggressive pratnaparsha was you know with this kind of personality at the forefront with kevalananda saraswati who was very very you know a quiet quiet and calm sort of a person uh, there was not you know you wouldn't really find too many uh, situations where it's confrontational pratnaparsha did a lot of uh, you know writings and you know uh, public uh, speeches and all that uh, but all of those were sort of uh, taken as problematic or different but there was never a real uh, you know a, a problem in terms of sitting together or cooperating with the wider orthodoxy however of course uh, the number of people who opposed them were very very large including the you know the banaras pandits including the uh, the dule pandits including uh, the vai pandits themselves including the kolhapur pandits so so it was a very lone sort of a battle on their on their behalf in fact so there on so you would actually see them you know becoming more public speakers uh, the public intellectuals rather than operating as shastris in the later period Thank you Rahul actually there are two one is by Polly O'Hanlon which I missed that was earlier and then there's one by Prachi Polly asks uh, Polly do you want to uh, turn on your mic and ask yourself Okay I can read it um um uh, Polly says interesting that the physical culture aspect of these new initiatives seem to have been brahmanized whereas the pre colonial culture of practicing strength building and martial skills was much more socially open would that be correct yeah i mean yeah it seems so um however uh, were they sort of two distinct i'm i'm not very sure whether two distinct uh, ideas or spheres 
I think they were sort of, you know, uh, uh, deeply implicated into one another because all of this Ramdasi tradition was also, uh, you know, uh, the bodybuilding and cultivation of all of that and Brahmacharya was also connected with this whole practice of literacy and writing and, you know, uh, uh, that sort of practicing and disciplining of the mind as well. Uh, so discipline is key here, I think, and that uh, is is located in that pre-colonial uh, um, tradition, which is you know identified as distinct from in in the much the same way. I think what happens in Fule, where there is a distinction that emerges between you know the Brahmanical bhakti and the non-Brahmin bhakti, that kind of also operates here in the Patshala uh, universe. Thanks. And the very final question is by Prachi Gurzar Padhye. And she asks, how did women feature in the imagination of the Pradnya Patsha initiates? Yeah, I mean, uh, apparently you don't find too many women uh, or too many uh, gender questions or concerns talked about uh, in, in by these, uh, um, you know, Pradnya Patsha. Um, associates, uh, but there is a discussion of gender, of course, or or women as 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 you know as the typical classical uh, feminine space, which is to be protected from the uh, from the you know, colonial gaze and and the uh, and the and the Muslim gaze and all that. So it's it's in a way very 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 orthodox in, in that uh, regard, particularly the Vikar Shastri. Thank you so much, Rahul, and thank you for the amazing questions and for the presentation, Rahul. Um,